Okay. Um, can you all hear me? Like nod or something. Let me know you can hear me. Okay, good. Very good. All right. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nahmaduhu wa nasalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Okay, very nice to see you all again. And we're continuing our exploration of Al-Fatiha. And so far, I think we've made it through a total of two ayahs. And, and so we're continuing along. And just briefly, very, very, very brief review. Uh, one of the key things to think about in the context of the Quran itself and in the context of the worldview of the Quran is that one of the central things that the Quran is focusing on is on your thinking, on your perception of yourself, on your perception of the world. Now that runs very much counter to the common way we actually practice the deen. The common way we practice the deen, which is still correct, is, all right, this is hala, this is fard, these are the things I'm supposed to do, and then this is the haram, these are the things I'm supposed to stay away from, right? And so very often we frame the deen as a set of rules. These, this is the list of things I'm supposed to, uh, uh, supposed to conform to, whether it is things to do or things to avoid. That is still correct. But the point to take is that that is a small fraction of the actual vision of the Qur'an. The actual vision of the Qur'an is something far, far greater. It's addressing how do you even look at reality itself. And a point to think about, this is a point I had with another student in class earlier today, a different class. And that is that a lot of times when we're struggling with faith, the approach that we usually take is... Uh, is that religion, you have to prove your truth to me. And, and our religion is literally called submission. And a point to think about is that the, the approach that our, our, uh, that our tradition is saying, that our, that our text is saying, is no, you submit, and that is going to be a pathway towards developing confidence, developing faith, and then by extension, developing conviction. That'll be a point that we're going to revisit over the course of, of the, the future classes. But again, just to repeat, that the focus of the Quran more often than not is on your thinking. How do you interpret the world? And we look at an example of that with the example of the leaf falling from a tree yesterday. That what do you think of when you think of a leaf falling from a tree? Many people said fall. Uh, Suleiman said autumn. Uh, in fact, uh, Etadal, I don't know if she's about, uh, on the class already, she said she thinks of death because of of this common poem uh, that a leaf falling from a tree represents death. But the point is that the way we look at the world, which includes the way we look at ourselves, is socially conditioned. That when you're growing up in an environment, you're embracing how everybody else in the environment looks at the world. So I might be Muslim, my next door neighbor might be Jewish, my next door neighbor after that might be Christian, the next person might be Buddhist, the next person might be Hindu, and the next family after that might be agnostic. But because we're all growing up in the same environment over the course of a decade, two decades, three decades, four decades, we're probably going to look at the world almost exactly the same way, even though we're all coming from different religions. But the focus within the Quranic outlook is to shift 
from taking everything as a sign of what you're being taught to interpret it as to shift from there to seeing everything as a sign of God. So as I'm growing up, I'm seeing the leaf as a sign of autumn, as a sign of fall. But as I'm getting closer to Allah, it actually begins to shift where I start seeing the leaf as a sign of God. And this is a point we'll be touching on more and more throughout the whole course of of all of these uh, discussions, inshallah. So um, a little bit more of al-Fatiha, and then we'll pick up with the question that I left us with at the end of class related to suffering uh, uh, last time. But the, uh, when we continue in al-Fatiha, we did Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. We did Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. So Hamd is praising gratitude. Uh, Rabb, uh, we said, was the one who takes you from immaturity to maturity according to your unique design. And then we said Al-Alameen is all the different worlds. Back then they saw it as the world of angels, jinns, humans, or all the different realms of knowledge, etc., etc. But then notice, uh, notice again, after Bismillah Rahman Rahim, after Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, again we have Ar-Rahman Rahim. How would you interpret that? How would you interpret this repetition that in line one, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, now line three, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim? What would be possible wisdoms that we can take from the fact that Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim is repeated? Uh, you know, e- uh, either unmute your microphones or type in the chat box. What would be possible reasons for the repetition of Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim? Anyone? So one is absolutely emphasis. That, that Allah Ta'ala, in the same way that over and over again he is mentioning Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, there's many passages about himself that he repeats, you know, that he is able to do all things, that he is forgiving, merciful, right? And so one is emphasis. What else would be possible reasons? Emphasis is probably the most uh, uh, apparent. And feel free to take a guess. You're not going to get punished yet. Yeah, part of it, it relates to emphasis is the fact that we are forgetful. So Hazel and Maha, both of you. Uh, and it's good that both of you said it because it will be less likely that we'll, we'll forget the line. That it is also just part of the human experience to the, that we forget things. One of the theories for the name, uh, for the word insan, there's two dominant theories for the etymology of the word for human, insan. And one is that the one who is forgetful. The other theory is, is that, uh, that humans by nature, insan means the one who needs interaction. And so uh, uh, Dr. Walid is saying, yeah, uh, that he is, it's out of his kindness. Yeah, I'd say I'd agree with that wholeheartedly. And then, uh, and, and then also the idea of mercy sandwiches, the second ayah, I'd say that's absolutely true too, all of these. Uh, further explanation of Rab, definitely, uh, uh, also would be included here. Uh, these are all very, very good. The other one I want to add is also for the poetry. The, the poetic quality of Al-Fatiha is also included here. That when we speak of the Quran, we speak of the Quran as a recited text. And yes, Tanvir, uh, God's fundamental principle of Rahmah, yeah, absolutely. And Maryam, I to instill love with it with, uh, within the reader. Uh, I believe all of these are 100% true. And like I said, the one that I'm also adding is the experience of the Quran is on the one hand, focus on thought, 
But being a recited text, it is also a text focused on conduct and action. That you and I know how was the Quran delivered from the Prophet, peace be upon him, to the Sahaba. It was delivered by way of recitation, right? It wasn't like he collected the Quran and said, you know, here, get to know the text. He is reciting to them and he is embodying it before them. And this is a point that I'll be that I'll be emphasizing a little bit more and more as we go through the text. Uh, but to take a step back, to make this point a step further, about you know, we said first the first thing I kept emphasizing is the Quran is focusing on thinking. Now I'm adding the element of action. Okay, so let's take a step back and talk about different approaches we have in our community to knowledge. And commonly, there's a, there's probably about three or four. One approach to knowledge, which is the one I especially want us to try to focus on, is what we call transformative learning. Okay. The next one would be what we would call informative learning. Okay. The next one, which is actually uh, two things, is consumption. And the last one is just straight entertainment. Okay. So we have transformative learning. And then we have informative, and then among uh, with, and then we have consumption and entertainment. And the last two are very similar to each other, and the first two are somewhat similar to each other. Okay. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that much of the Islamic learning in our community at this point right now is consumption and entertainment. Now, what is consumption? Consumption is I take it in, I take it in, I take it in, I take it in, and as, as I finish the course, or as I finish the book, or as I finish uh, the, the, the retreat, I might feel a so-called Iman rush, but I'm still the same person. Nothing's changed. Okay. Meaning I've taken it in, I've digested it, and then I've removed it from my system. Okay. Entertainment is a variation of that. Why do we follow this charismatic teacher or preacher and not that one? As some of our biggest scholars, for example, in Chicago, although we have people here from literally all over the place, some of our biggest scholars in Chicago are definitely not dynamic speakers, but they're ginormous scholars. And then often we will, float, uh, we will flock to the person who is younger, who's trendier, who, who is more charismatic in the way he speaks. That's a culture of entertainment consumption. Okay. There's still benefit there, just like there's still nutrition in fast food somewhat, but there was nutrition in restaurant food. Yeah. Uh, and so think of transformative and informative. So what is informative learning? That's what a lot of our academic learning is, which is I'm taking in this information, but there isn't any question of me practicing it. So for example, if I was getting, uh, if I was doing coursework in the history of France, and I'm learning French, and I'm learning the history of France, and the politics and the anthropology of France, but there's no thought that I would actually someday become a Frenchman. Yeah. That's informative. You know, or most of the different fields that we're learning, it's informative. Here's how the world works, here's how the universe works. Transformative is what you would think it is by the name, that I am taking in a certain amount of knowledge. It could be a nugget of knowledge, it could be more than that, and I'm embodying it. I'm embodying it with the intention that it should transform me. Okay. 
That's the goal of what we have here. The goal, like you'll notice, this is class number three, and we're averaging one IA per class. And as, as my students will tell you, I focus much more on quality versus uh, quantity. And so seriously take in and try to embody what we're discussing in each of the classes. And one of the best ways to do that is to try to be consistent with the homework assignment, like for example, the homework assignment I gave yesterday. And we won't have another homework assignment, at least for another class or two. But, but the point is the intention is transformation, which means that I'm really trying to embrace what is being delivered, okay? So we have the Quran is focused on, on idea, and then from there, it, uh, uh, it gets into action. Uh, whereas to, uh, very often our community approaches, it's only action, which is fard and, and haram. Uh, can you please repeat the homework here? Uh, I missed yesterday's class. Yeah, uh, remind me toward uh, the, the end of class, inshallah, and, and I'll do it. Okay, so back to Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim. So we gave many, many good reasons for why it may be in Allah's wisdom to give, uh, to say Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim again and again. And so now here's the question that I ended class with yesterday. If Allah is so merciful that his mercy is directly mentioned four times, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, and then implicitly, Rabbil Alameen, the nourisher, the one who takes everything from immaturity to maturity according to its unique design, the fifth time, okay, uh, then how do we reconcile suffering? And I gave a couple examples. One example yesterday I gave was a real condition in which you have a baby whose skin is so fragile that if you touch it, uh, the baby starts bleeding. And so I'm thinking of an actual family who had a baby who was born with this condition. And this from birth, nonstop, the baby is constantly screaming in pain. And so then the parents, their job all day long is to cover the baby in gauze. And the baby, even the esophagus, is so fragile that the baby could only digest or take in super, super soft liquids. And then by the time they're done putting gauze on the baby, it's all bloody, then they have to take it off and then put on brand new gauze, 24 seven. Okay. So how do we explain Allah's mercy with a situation like that? Another situation is people who are being put through a genocide, okay. including mass murder, including torture, including all the other types of oppression, oppression of the mind and everything. And we have many examples of that happening in the world today. How do we reconcile these with, with uh, Allah's mercy? Uh, far away. What do you think? And again, uh, all your reflections in short will be will be right on target. We're trying to get to the root of it all. You know, whether we're talking about occupation, whether we're talking about a dictator, or again, whether we're talking about uh, a genetic anomaly. So some of it is left for the day of judgment. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Allah Ta'ala only tests you to your limits. Yeah, absolutely. What else? It is definitely a test of sabr, 100%. Uh, we don't see the big picture. Hey, Nabil, can I ask you to expand on that? Basir, uh, for others to take heed, this is a very important point. When we are witnessing the suffering of other people, there's an, also an obligation put on the witnesses. Uh, Mariam says maybe it's for those on the outside as well to be grateful for their situation. Yeah, this is also an important point in the sense that 
Uh, one therapy for a person's Iman is to look at a person who has less than them. That can help develop gratitude. Uh, let's see, preventing opportunities to make mistakes. Absolutely. Though we may find mercy in it after the fact. Yeah. Uh, I think I missed some other people. Challenge and a test of mercy. Uh, isn't there something that those who suffer more are granted more in paradise? Inshallah. Uh, is this something that we have to accept that we do not understand? Yeah, this is also true too. Okay. Uh, whose standards are we imposing in the first place? Uh, Abdullah, expand on this point. This is also a very interesting point. And either you can type it or you can just speak it, you know, whatever's easier. And then Nashin is saying, with no suffering, there is no relief. So suffering is absolutely a personal experience, yes. Uh, observer's perspective of suffering is the observer's bias. We have no evidence of actual suffering of the sufferer. Okay, fair enough. To show the blessings of Allah that we take for granted. Yes, there is mercy and justice in the hereafter. Uh, to give people wisdom from Yasna, mashallah, uh, the mere growth, absolutely suffering is one of uh, is one mercy for for other. Okay. To increase gratitude when life is good, absolutely. So <clears throat> let's let's uh, put all of these points together, inshallah. All your points again, you know, are mashallah correct. Okay. Now, one point within the context of the surah, this is where the very next ayah comes in. Master of the Day of Judgment. Okay. Now, what happens as far as our belief is concerned to the baby if this baby is going through nonstop suffering and then dies? What do we believe is going to happen with this baby? Anyone? Yeah, go straight to paradise. Oh, and I like the spelling of Jannah, which is the way my daughter's name is called, but, but J is fine too. Uh, Hannah and Professor Weed. Yeah. Right? I mean, there is one school of theology, the Mu'tazila, that says the baby hasn't earned anything, but the majority opinion, overwhelming majority opinion, especially in Sunni and Shia tradition, is, is that um, this baby is entering paradise sin-free and this going straight to paradise. Uh, or entering the day of judgment sin-free and this going straight to paradise. Where does the assumption come from that we are, that we are entitled to not to suffer? Very nice point. Okay. And that we can join Prophet Ibrahim in heaven, as well as baby Ibrahim, the, the, uh, the, the son of the prophet, peace be upon him. So take this a step further, and this is sort of related to this last point that uh, Abdullah mentioned. Is this life fair if you do not include the day of judgment? If you do not include the day of judgment, no, this nightless life is not fair. There will be people who will take advantage of or who will take from other people who will not have to pay for it in this dunya. There will be people who have suffered who will not be given restitution in this dunya. So, same thing, uh, the same thing that happened to the Bada killed by Khidr. His parents should uh, suffer, but they shall end in Jannah, or to the, to the boy killed by Khidr. Okay, so Malah had the same defined fear. And I'm saying simply and straightforwardly, uh, give you a simple example. Let's say Malaha gets really angry and kills his teacher Muzaffar. Okay, and and so if Malaha gets convicted and gets a death penalty, does that bring Muzaffar back? No. Okay, likely scenario. Yeah. Now let's say uh, let's say Malaha gets really angry and he kills Muzaffar and Sayyid Qazi. Okay, you can only execute Malaha once. Okay. That's. Uh, um, uh, so the point is that uh, justice, as we will get into it, is often more focused on social order 
than actual um, compensation. It includes compensation and fair compensation. But the point I'm making is that uh, ultimately this world is not going to be fair unless you include the day of judgment. You know, we have Palestinians in this group, we have Syrians in this group, you know, and they'll tell you, you know, give justice to all of our people throughout the world, Muslim and non-Muslim. Uh, and what do we all know? That true justice is not gonna happen uh, uh, until we get to the other side. Good. Now, what does that then mean when we go back to the baby? The baby is inshallah gonna go straight to paradise, okay? But, what else is being a test? The te parents are being tested. The witnesses are being tested. So, but part of it is also that Allah Ta'ala has freedom to do whatever he wills. This is also sometimes a different point to accept that we all understand intellectually. Okay. And what am I saying here related to Abdullah's point, which is like, you know, how, you know what entitles us to believe that we should not be suffering, is that... Number one, do I even deserve existence? No. I mean, how do I, how do I argue that I deserve existence? Okay. Uh, so my default is that I'm already given something that is something I did not earn and I did not deserve by way of being given life. So my default is I'm already given better than what I should be expecting or what I should be considered myself entitled to. But the deal that Allah Ta'ala is giving me is that if you persevere through the suffering, he's going to give us better. Okay. If you're grateful for the ease, he's going to give you better. Okay. Is justice more important than mercy? Or is it uh, that in reality we're asking for mercy when our, when our voicing a demand for justice? Let me come back to this in, in just a moment, inshallah. Okay. So do you see the point I'm making? Um, have we discussed... The, uh, uh, the five tests, did we discuss that yesterday? Uh, someone remind us, you can say it or type it, what are the, the, the five tests? First one, not necessarily in any order. Obedience, oh nice, cut and paste, very good, mashallah. So obedience, ease, struggle, difficult decisions, and forgiveness. Good. And forgiveness for all the times we fall short of the first four. I mean, I'm not saying we always fall short in, in forgiveness, I'm saying forgiveness is for all the times we fall short in the other ones. Now, what else are we saying? That if the default relationship that Allah Ta'ala has with creation is Rahmah, all of these tests are manifestations of Rahmah. Okay. That when Allah Ta'ala is making me obey, one of the Rahmas of obedience is to keep me focused on God. When Allah Ta'ala is giving me ease, and then I respond with gratitude, okay, that's an easy thing to look at as rahmah. The hard thing to look at is when Allah Ta'ala is giving me suffering, he's also paying me back. If not on the day of judgment, then also inshallah here at the very least, one of the benefits of struggle is that I get stronger. Good. Now this doesn't mean that, all right, you know, hey, if you see somebody struggling, you should say, hey, that's a mercy from God, you should be happy. No, that's a whole different issue. But I'm saying this is the core outlook we want to work to develop. That the Prophet, peace be upon him, is saying, you know, how wonderful is the plight of the believer that when something good happens, they're grateful, but when something bad happens, they also see this as benefit from Allah because they know that they're, that they're not being hit with anything except that sins are being dropped. 
that they're being made stronger, that it will end, they will be rewarded by Allah on the Day of Judgment. Now, for some of us, we might already be at that level. And then for some of us, the best we can do right now is just remind ourselves about it. This is part of the journey of faith. Okay. Uh, but see, these are five for what again? These are the tests that each of us go through. Why is existence considered a gift when we didn't ask for it? Uh, would you rather, uh, the simple question would be, would you rather not exist? Uh, someone just turn off their microphone. Someone about to say something. Uh, yeah, I would say that, um, is that uh, Maha speaking? Yes, hi. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, you said that uh, with regard to suffering, and, and I like how you laid it out, that sins are dropped, and then what What, what else happens? Can you okay, so, so a, f a few things would be that uh, a few promises of suffering. One is that Allah Ta'ala will not hit you with any suffering except that sins will be dropped from you like leaves falling from a tree. Oh, look at the metaphor again. And then in addition, another benefit of suffering, if you persevere through it, is that it'll make you stronger, which by definition means the suffering will feel less like suffering. And then let's add the word fitna here. You know, some of us have discussed fitna in other classes that what is fitna in terms of its etymology, it's purification. Okay. Like in the context of gold purification, you're getting rid of all the impurities. So when you're being hit with struggle, it's like you're being pruned or you're like you're taking a, a, a towel and you're straining out all the water. So when you're being hit with suffering, it's removing the impurities from your heart. Okay. And then on top of that, you're going to be rewarded on the day of judgment for persevering through the suffering. And another thing on top of that is that if when you're hit with suffering, big or small, if you say, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, you're also going to be rewarded for that. So right there, it's going to be a double benefit. You're hit with the suffering, you lose sins, and you say, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'un, you're also going to be rewarded for it. So many, many, many benefits. But again, it wouldn't be suffering if it didn't hurt. It's going to hurt. Uh, what do you think, Mahat? Does it make sense? Uh, yeah. Okay, sure. And what is the point that I'm making here? This is part, I think all of us in different ways, we intuitively know this, uh, but especially in the context of the situation we're in right now in our society and in the world, part of the reason I started this class is also, is not just to discuss Quran and such, which is something I like doing all the time, but it's also to make the point that you and I also know that whatever's ahead of us is not only unknown, but it's also very, very frightening. Uh, it's very ominous, especially with the head of state we have right now. And so we're, uh, we're, I'm also doing all this to give us you know, a foundation through which to negotiate literally the next few weeks, if not the next few months and beyond. You know, to really lay out how should we be looking at the world in terms of what is in front of us. Okay. So, uh, um, Omar, this is Etihad. Hey, and so I'm listening to you, alaykum as -salam, and, and to everyone else. And I'm listening to you talk about this. But this is not, I'm taking it from a religious perspective that this is not a self-defeating thought that I'm going to accept my nasib and continue to suffer, but to seek help and to seek assistance and continue to work towards betterment. But this is in, in a more of a spiritual acceptance of this is, this is an illness that has come upon you and it's not going to go away, but it will purify you. But if if you are suffering from cancer, if you are suffering from things that there is medication that you still take it and, and make sure that you get the help that you need. 
Mm -hmm. So uh, I agree with you 100%, but I would also include getting the cure as part of the spiritual process too. Olfad asked a really good question yesterday uh, about, you know, what if someone is using this as an excuse to oppress you, right? Uh, right. This we we mm -hmm. will discuss when we get into Ayah 6 and 7 of Al-Baqarah, so basically essentially the next page of the Quran, uh, when okay. we get into free will and predestination. But the short answer is, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Right. Okay. That, all right. That in the same way that we all understand, the theology is also used to to keep people down. Right. That's Karl Marx, and we have many examples of that even in in our own Muslim history of people using theology, saying, "All right, if the oppressor is, is making allowing you to pray, then you cannot rise up." And so, uh, I mean, here I'll give you the short answer to that. One of the foundational maxims of Islamic law is number one: harm must be removed. And another foundational maxim of Islamic law is that you should not be harmed, nor should you harm. And I think that, by definition, supports both uh, Ofut's question as well as uh, Etidal, your question. But we'll get into this in more detail, inshallah, when we get to I 6 and 7 of Al-Baqarah, inshallah. But it's, a, it's an important uh, clarification. Okay, uh, Malahat is asking what would be classified as suffering. Essentially, anything you don't want. That's suffering. Okay, so it could be uh, that, you know, you're at home and your kids are jumping all over your head. That's a type of suffering, right? Or it could be that your people are getting wiped out from a disease or from a tyrant. That's also a bigger suffering or a big suffering or disease, all those things. Okay. And then ease would be something that you like having. Okay. So ease, ease is bust. It makes your life, uh, allows your life to, to spread. Abd is suffering where you get squeezed. And Basit is you now two days in a row making an obnoxious comment about his wife, and I hope his wife is next, is next to him, and she has my permission to cause him suffering. Okay, so, Master of the Day of Judgment, we're saying that everything gets tempered and answered on the Day of Judgment. Okay. Now, <clears throat> Master of the Day of Judgment, isn't Allah Ta'ala the master of everything already? The answer is obviously yes. So what insight can we gain from the fact that he's, he's also claiming of himself master of the day of judgment? What do you think? Losing your child to just have a flu are two different aspects. Uh, yeah. So God is saying he's master of the day of judgment. Isn't he also master of every day before the day of judgment? And so it's a Vir's question, yeah, who's the master today? And then Stephanie and Lace Point emphasizing the Day of Judgment and uh, Absolute Justice. Yes, Lord of the Worlds, Corporeal, Day of Judgment, Spiritual. Possibly, uh, Sammy, a point I want you to think about is what if you reverse the two? Somebody just open the microphone. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to, is it because um, say identifying himself as master of the day of judgment, is that to kind of remind us that nobody can help us on that day? Yeah, essentially, that today we can dispute who is the master, related to Tanvir's point. Today, uh, we can absolutely dispute who is the master, although you and I would say, well, Allah is still the master. That day, there's not going to be any dispute. Okay. Simple point there. Meaning what you and I are taking as belief right now, to some degree, voluntarily. On the day of judgment, it'll be by way of uh, compulsion. Now, Day of Judgment. Uh, Yom ad uh, wouldn't really translate as Day of Judgment. 
Uh, announcing meaning of this world, finite masters of suffering are given reign. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of the different terms in the Quran for day of judgment, we have Yom Al-Qiyamah, which is the day of resurrection. We have Yom Al-Fasl, which is more like the day of judgment. Um, Yom Al-Din would be more like day of accounting. Okay? Or often you'll see day of recompense, which is sort of an awkward English word. But it's a day of accounting. Now let's talk about this word deen, because we also use this word deen for, for religion itself. Okay. Deen is speaking of interaction. Okay. And, and so in the context of finances, deen, meaning debt, Yom al-Hisab is a very, very good example. Uh, thank you for that, uh, uh, Rashidi. Uh, think of the day of judgment. Often when we frame it, and it is still correct, you and I are each individually standing before Allah for all the choices we made in our lives. Notice I didn't say our, our deeds, I'm saying our choices. We're going to stand before Allah for all the choices we made in our lives. Now, another thing we're also taught about the Day of Judgment is this is everyone's going to be paying back everything that everyone owes. Uh, 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 Professor Walid, yeah, that will be getting to in just a moment, inshallah. Yeah, you're ahead of us, inshallah. So, so the point being, that we also know that, all right, if I owe Maryam something, if I, know, if I owe Hannah something, if I owe Hadia something, I'm gonna be paying them back in the Day of Judgment. If, if Nabil owes me something, he's gonna be paying me back. If Ahad owes me something, he's gonna be paying me back, right? There's gonna be all of this swapping that is gonna be going on as part of this process as well. And then what's also scary are those narrations, like the person who's gonna arrive on the Day of Judgment, uh, having done good their whole lives, and then they see that their scale's empty because their loose tongue canceled everything out, that they exhausted everything because their loose tongue, right? There's also those narrations too. Okay. But the point to think about is that the, one of the, another essence of life itself in the akhira as well as dunya is that it's all exchange. It's all interaction. So I mentioned at the very beginning of Al-Fatiha, when we're talking about the Ba of Bismillah, we said it's all about connection. Now the next step to think about that is Rahmah, and relate to that is interaction. That one of the essences of your Islamic experience is your relationships. It is how do you conduct yourself in each of your relationships, starting, of course, with your relationship with Allah, as well as your relationship with family, your relationship with, with friends, with other Muslims, with strangers, with non-Muslims, that the relationship itself will speak for you or against you on the Day of Judgment. That if you break your relationship with relatives without justification, okay, the, then Allah Ta'ala is going to break his, a relationship with you. But the relationship itself, that bond, Try to imagine, it's as though that's going to animate and speak for or against you. But a lot of things in this world we think of as conceptual will be material on the Day of Judgment. So I forgot who it was, if it was Sami or, or, or Abdullah or Momin, you speak of this world as, as the corporeal and the next world as spiritual. I'm suggesting look at the other way around. This world is also very imagination. The next world is going to be the corporeal. Yeah. See what we're saying? that another essence of the Islamic experience, another essence of the Quranic worldview is the emphasis on relationships. Uh, Hannah, are you raising your hand or are you just stretching? Or are you frozen? Looks like you might be frozen or something. Okay. 
And so, so how you conduct yourself in your relationships, often the word we use for that is character. And so what did the prophet, peace be upon him, say? I did not come except to perfect character. And so now imagine when we think of someone in terms of being religious, we often speak of, okay, they perform the five pillars, right? When people ask me, am I religious? I immediately start thinking of my father. He does all five, mashallah, in the masjid, although obviously not right now. Good. And so then I'm thinking, okay, that's way higher than me. But it's not just your obligations to Allah, what we call the hukuk to Allah, but it's also your obligations to your relationships, to your people, hukuk al-ibad. And so an optional assignment for you, this is not a required assignment, an optional assignment is to make a list of your top 20 or 30 relationships and then classify them. Okay. So mother, father, sister, sister, daughter, daughter, I'm just looking at myself, you know, uh, this friend, this friend, this friend, teacher, student, so forth and so on. And then classify them and then evaluate your part in each of those relationships. And then outside of class, if this is something you'd also like to work on further, then I'm happy to talk with you one-on-one -on -one about that. But, but the point we're making is that a central aspect of, of your Islam is your conduct in relationships. And then the day of judgment is this manifestation of, of what we have done with those relationships. Yomuddin, okay. day of interaction, a day of accounting, a day of, of compensation. Malahat is saying, can we evaluate the relationship with Ziyabai, Dr. Kazi? I don't think anybody can do that. And then how do you stay conscious? How, uh, how do you stay conscious of your relationship with people without taking them as your God? Well, there, then we get into uh, uh, essentially keeping, looking at your aspect of the relationship, which we'll add more detail to. But in a nutshell, it should be one of giving, one of mercy without allowing yourself to be oppressed. That would be it in the, in the, in the, in the short sense. That sometimes there are relationships with relatives we have to keep our distance about because it's nothing but a tyrannical relationship. That's a thing, right? I mean, that's part of my job security as, as a chaplain, those types of situations. I'm not saying the job security in a good way. Okay, so now finishing off, we've now completed the first half of the surah. Okay. And almost the entirety of the first half of the surah is describing who is Allah and who is Allah in relationship to us? The second half of the surah, which is the second half of the human experience, will discuss who are we in relationship to Allah. Okay. That's what we'll be getting into next time, inshallah. So, uh, Dr. Kazi, you raise your hand. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> Just a comment and see what you think of it. This whole surah is, is all about mercy. In fact, uh, the deen or the recompense or the day of justice is also a manifestation of mercy because one, if he says he's the master of uh, the day, the day where there's no restraint on him, he's only going to go uh, above board in the positive in terms of uh, you know giving 10 blessings or 10 times the recompense for good deed. But he's exercising also uh, self-restraint that he's not going to go beyond the measure uh, of what is required for a bad deed. Yeah. And that again is basically a manifestation of his mercy. 
Yes. Rather than justice and mercy being two different things, again, justice is being subsumed uh -huh. uh, by his mercy. What do you think? Uh, I agree 100%. And so one of the points that's debated in different points in our history is, is Allah's mercy higher or is justice higher? And essentially what you're saying is the approach that I agree with it is that justice is a manifestation of mercy. So to put everyone else in the conversation, this is, this is a mainstream Sunni thought and to some degree a mainstream Shia thought, is that uh, on the day of judgment, Allah will not give you less than what you deserve. Okay. He will give you either what you deserve, meaning what you have earned, or he's going to give you something better. Okay. And we all hope he'll give us something better. Uh, but he's not going to give us less. Good. And so, so how else is justice the manifestation of mercy? I, I mentioned earlier briefly, justice is often more a matter of keeping order in society, which by definition would be a mercy because the opposite of it would be chaos or the opposite of it would be tyranny or apathy, all those things. So yeah, I would agree. I would uh, uh, agree uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, uh, an exercise I'd like you to think about for, for next class, and the, the floor is still open for, for, for questions, is look at the four references to Rahmah and explore how does it change, how does the Surah change if you remove the Rahmah? If we just say, Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Maliki Yomitin. Think of how the Surah changes. Or, if we say Bismillah, Al-Qahar, Al-Jabbar. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Al-Qahar, Al-Jabbar, Maliki Yomadeen. Al-Qahar translates as the one whose will cannot be stopped. And Al-Jabbar, the one, well, actually, Qahar and Jabbar are similar. Jabbar, the one whose will cannot be stopped. Qahar is the one who subdues. And so, how does the surah change if we replace Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim with Al-Qahar and Al-Jabbar? And, uh, so one is, what, how does the surah change if you remove Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim? Number two, how does it change if you add, if you replace Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim with Al-Qahar Al-Jabbar? And third, how does it change if you say, Bismillah Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Al-Qahar Al-Jabbar, Maliki Yomitneen. So the word that I keep using is al-qahar, al-jabbar. Okay. Fourth, so third is bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah rabbil alameen, al-qahar al-jabbar, maliki yamadeen. Fourth is bismillah al-qahar al-jabbar, alhamdulillah rabbil alameen, ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, maliki yamadeen. So explore those four possibilities to see, uh, to see how that changes and literally how significantly that changes the surah and thus our whole uh, understanding of everything. Okay, that we'll, we'll, we'll touch on tomorrow, inshallah. Uh, Musab is asking the question, uh, is the Sharia law justice a form of mercy? Uh, the overwhelming opinion across Islamic tradition is yes, it is. And some people were asking about homework earlier. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay. So the homework is is uh, if someone can cut and paste, that actually makes it easier. Anyone? Is there anyone who can cut and paste? Uh, professor, I think it's a very good response. That we'll also touch on tomorrow. Show. Okay. All right. So the homework is uh, there. It is thank you, Malahad. 
Number one, uh, list out, and this is something to do every single day, list out five things to be grateful for from the past day. For each one from within yourself, try to say Alhamdulillah. And then for each one, say the dua that you find in the middle of ayah 4615. Which translates as, my Lord, guide me to be grateful for what you bestowed upon me and upon my parents, so forth and so on. And you can't repeat the five things, either that day or day to day to day. And try your best uh, to do it. Try your best to do it every single day. If you miss a day, just do five the next day. You don't make it up. Just the goal is just to keep doing it. Okay. And inshallah, if you do this on a, on a reasonably consistent basis, then over the course of six to nine months, uh, I am saying with field experience, all these assignments I give you are field tested. Um, you will see very sh significant shifts in your outlook. You know, and essentially, I'm going to say you're going to turn from a grouch to a happy person, inshallah, if that's where you are right now. Okay, any other questions? All right, uh, so I have figured out how to save the audio recordings. Uh, and if you, uh, in fact, I think I actually have to send you the link. And so let me see if really fast I can find the link for you. Um, okay. So, so there's the, where the recordings are going to be. This is my own SoundCloud, and it's literally called the Pandemic Podcast. And, and uh, can we share the audio outside of class? Please no. Uh, mainly for, this, for the reason that, uh, uh, as you've already gathered, my style of teaching is not normal. And so people will not understand this. On a case-by-case -case basis, we can discuss it, though, actually. No other questions? Okay, so we will meet again tomorrow. I'm sorry for going so far over time today. I'll try to, again, I'll try to keep it closer to 30 to 40 minutes. And uh, it does not work. Oh, okay. Well, I got to figure out how to make it work then. Very sorry about that. Yeah. We can't find the list. Privacy settings. Okay. Mom, good to see. What? Okay, in any case, uh, I'll try to, uh, oh, moment. I'll try to make this work. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta. Subhanakallahumma, glory to you, O Allah, wa bihamdika, praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu la ilaha illa anta, we bear witness there is no God but you. Nastafiruka, we seek your forgiveness, wa and we turn to you. Subhanakallahumma, wa bihamdika, nashhadu la ilaha illa anta, nastafiruka, wa natubilake, wa akhri da'wana, and alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen. May Allah bless you all, and keep all of us safe and germ-free, as well as for our loved ones. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.